0: All
1: right, right. this is R.A. the Rugged Man. This is my first podcast. Everybody said, R.A., you got to do a podcast. You got to do a podcast. So I said, sure, let me do a podcast. So this is my first attempt, my first ever episode. And, uh, you know, you need a co-host. I didn't have a co-host. So my cameraman is a douchebag, uh, Mickey Shershanovich from Long Island. He was the cameraman. He was filming. And I said, you're an ignorant Long Island guy. Why don't you come be my co-host until the real first guest comes on? And uh, then I said, you know what? That sounds like a good... Name for the entire fucking podcast. From from now on, we're going to call it Ignorant Long Island Guys Podcast. And uh, this is episode number one. Say hello, Mickey Shoshinovich. Terrible decisions in the works. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> I knew he wasn't a good co-host. I'm the worst co for idiot. this. The guy, I told him to say something. He's like, terrible decisions. Terrible. I got so you know, a fucking Rain Man <laughs> as a co-host. But, you know, he will be replaced... Eventually. But oh, oh, you know no, eventually. But Johnny no, 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 hein, Johnny Carson. He's no, no terrible. He sounds like an idiot. <laughs> this is the worst co-host idea ever. But you know, Johnny Carson needs an Ed McMahon. You know, uh uh Ari the Rugged Man needs a Mickey Shirsenovich. He he swears he's not a Jew. He says he's Sicilian, but his name's Shirsenovich. Uh, uh, I don't know any Italian. Sicilian Mickey Sh- Shirchenoviches. But Say what's up to my co-host, everybody. And today, you know, usually your first podcast, you start off with something simple. You start off with something fun, you know, maybe bring like a rapper on or like, you know, something goofy, you talk video games. But today, I want to hit you with an important episode and we're going to start off with a bang, a a, a real bang. We're going to start off and hit you very hard because this podcast it's gonna be politics, I'm gonna get politicians and political people and pundits in the future. It's gonna be boxing, I'm gonna get world champions in the future. It's gonna be film, it's gonna be, you know, I'm gonna get filmmakers and film directors and actors. It's gonna be hip hop, I'm gonna get iconic hip hop figures. That's gonna be the basis, cause those are the only things I really know. A little bit of politics, a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of boxing, a little bit about, what was the other thing? Film. So, uh, no, I don't know too much about porn. I I know, you know, well, Long Jean Silver. you know, she was, No. that's the only porn star I liked. She was, she was a seventies porn star and she was, she was into amputee sex. She had a leg missing and she fucked women with her stump and it was pretty. Is, Is that the one you slept with? I, I I never slept with somebody missing a limb. I, I uh there was a girl in the Smith Haven Mall when I was a kid that had no arms. And the guys in the neighborhood used used to bang her. And uh I never banged her though. I, I I'd seen her walking in the mall a few times with her hands in her pockets, but like she had no arms. She just pretended like she had arms. So what she have in her pockets? Just the the sleeves uh, to the like the stubs? Yeah, oh, no 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 stubs, sleeves. Oh sleeves. So <laughs> she would put the sleeves the hands in her pockets. She had sleeves in her pockets. <laughs> and uh, this isn't funny, this is a serious episode. So what I was saying is, today we have an unbelievably brave, amazing woman, an independent journalist that I have so much respect for because we live in this era where journalism isn't journalism. You know, all you do, you have clickbait, and you, you look for the biggest piece of sensationalized hype to get people to click your site, and that's what journalism has become today, and, and agenda-driven, phony nonsense. Uh, so today we have a real journalist, and her name is Lindsay Snell. And we're gonna tell her story, but, but I'll just, so, so you know what's coming up, is she was uh, kidnapped by ISIS, kidnapped by al-Qaeda, escaped al-Qaeda, was put in a Turkish prison with ISIS members. I will leave it at that. That's going to be our guest tonight. What What are our media outlets does she uh, report for? Well, we're going to ask her that stuff. You know, she did she did quite a few stories, but the coverage of her story and her being kidnapped and her being locked in a Turkish prison hasn't gotten hasn't been getting the coverage it should have gotten. I mean, it, people are covering it now, but uh, you know, she needs the ignorant Long Island guys podcast to really. Make this story bang to really bring it off the ground. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're giving me a serious face I'm just, like I'm serious? I'm just like, I'm not like going with the flow. I'm like, right. no, 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 this, this is the moment where the, the co host is kind of nods. Okay, so now since my co host sucked <laughs> so fucking bad and didn't say one good thing the whole time he was I, on the it, show. Porn? Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get rid of Mickey Shoshanovich, hopefully, for the rest of the existence of this podcast. But if I need him in the future, Maybe I'll pop his uh, head back in to do uh, some more with me, but hopefully not. So now we're going to invite up the amazing, just amazing, brave superwoman, Lindsay Snell. Cut to uh, Public Enemy. Welcome to the Terror Dome. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, bring in Lindsay. All right. Thank you. Get the fuck out of here, you suck. I know, I'm terrible. I'm like, oh, this is the worst decision ever. This guy's the worst. But, welcome to the Ignorant Long Island Guys broadcast. And here, just walked onto the set, is a friend of mine, Miss Lindsay Snell. How are you doing?
0: Very good, thanks for having me. Well. <laughs> I'm a really weird first choice, but I'm honored, so Wh-
1: Why? Why do you think you're a weird first choice?
0: Hip hop. <laughs> movies horror movies and shit and then you have al-qaeda and turkish prison
1: well i'm gonna try to get jill stein on here next <laughs> i'm gonna try to get um maybe one of the trump kids <laughs> maybe i'll get one of uh you know one of the guys that flew clinton to the pedophile islands or something maybe i'll get That'd him be good next one, yeah. something, you know? good <laughs> one Now, here's where we get serious. So, we're gonna start off light though. We're gonna say, what got you into independent journalism?
0: I would have been here covering the election probably if I'd been, you know, a company woman. So, um, yeah, I mean, once I started covering the Middle East a few years ago, it just made sense to stay freelance, to stay independent, and also, For the last two and a half years it's been pretty impossible to get any outlet to send you to syria it's too dangerous too many kidnappings too many bombings so all the outlets stopped going there and they were still commissioning my material for a while but then in the last year i think because of the number of people al-qaeda's kidnapped honestly covering opposition held syria it's impossible to even sell your work from syria anymore
1: yeah because when you came home i expected everybody to jump on the story and a couple people jumped on the story but like it wasn't even like, wow, you know, they, they want the circus act. They want the cartoon Trump idiot, and they want the uh, I'm with her, and they just want this whole circus uh, celebrity death match between, uh, you know, buffoons on your television. They don't want no real shit. That's the problem. So that's why we praise people like you who go and risk their life to, you know, get the word out and learn what's going on in the world. Let's go back to your background. After high school, you started doing law school or?
0: Yeah, I went to law school here in New York at Fordham. I finished law school and I moved to Miami ostensibly to study for the bar, but I started working for a documentary production company down there, and I stayed there for three years. And never practiced law, got into film, got into documentary, and then got into news from there.
1: Well, what are some of the documentary films you worked on?
0: I worked on the Cocaine Cowboys remix, uh, the Limelight documentary, a documentary called Square Grouper about marijuana smuggling in South Florida, Um, a couple ESPN 30 for 30s.
1: I saw the Limelight movie because of uh, what's our boy Mike? What was his name in the Limelight days? (laughs) I
0: can't remember. (laughs)
1: Uh, the drug dealer? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, remember he he was Ghostface Killer's manager, yes, and and yes, but he was oh yes. uh, uh, Lord Mike.
0: Yes, Lord Michael. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Lord Mike, and he, he
1: then he supposedly ratted on uh you know the limelight guy, and then uh, he ended up managing the Wu Tang and Ghostface, and then he got cancer and got sick, and he doesn't manage Ghost anymore, but he, he managed Ghost for a lot of years, yeah, but it's quite not as important as Al Qaeda. <laughs> Well, Al-Qaeda, how do you say it, actually? I don't even know. But, I say Al-Qaeda. You know, obviously making documentaries like Square Grouper and stuff like that, you had to do a lot of investigating, and it was kind of like journalism. It was journalism. Yeah, right? yeah so. just
0: longer form. Yeah. Um, and the time I started making documentaries was about the time that the DVD was dying. Everything was streaming, so the documentaries weren't getting funded as freely. News seemed a little bit more viable.
1: Yeah, because back then, me and you were friends, and, and you were like, hey, I think we could do you know, a documentary on your father, and the Uncommon Valor, and the story of the Agent Orange, and all of that stuff. But I think it was around that same time when you said the DVD started dying off, and the funding wasn't coming in anymore, and then I think you split with your partners in Florida, mm-hmm. and, and then you started going into the journalism.
0: And that still is a great documentary that has to be made. You have so much incredible footage and pictures. Well. It has to be made.
1: Well, if anybody's listening, <laughs> but this episode's not about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, okay, so now you started getting into the reporting after the documentary work. What were some of the first things that you reported?
0: Well, I did some nonfiction television. Like, I did a show for TLC about uh, the fundamentalist Mormon church, you know, the inbred... Child bride cults in Utah and Arizona. Wow, I didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah I did a show about that. Um, they canceled it after three episodes. I think it was just too rapey yeah. for a well. TLC audience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm laughing. People are gonna listen to this like this guy's an asshole. That's crazy. So, um okay. So when did you start traveling? You know the the rest of the world.
0: About two and a half years ago. Um, yep. Tunisia and Libya first. Uh, Tunisia has sent more young men and women to ISIS in Syria and Iraq than any other country. You know, it's this tiny little, it's like the Rhode Island of Africa, basically. And they've sent something like 6,000 fighters to Syria and Iraq.
1: Like, what made you go there? How did you find out to take a flight to this particular place and start reporting there? Like, how'd that happen?
0: It was the rise of ISIS. And uh, it was a company I was freelancing for that was sort of tracking data-wise the number of fighters that were going there. And they found that, you know, they're sending more people than any other country. So it was a prime place to go.
1: What's the difference between Al-Qaeda? What's the difference between ISIS? You know, who is who? What is what?
0: That's kind of a big question. Um, ISIS has been more ambitious in their media campaigns and their attacks and everything. And I think that their ambition has caused them to lose a lot of territory in Iraq and Syria now. Al-Qaeda, obviously, has been around a lot longer. And... They're just growing in strength, and they're growing in strength in Syria in a major, major way. ISIS, obviously, is attacking in America, and Brussels, and Paris, so much more on the radar of the West than al-Qaeda, but al-Qaeda still, a long-term enemy. And they still they have the same goal, which is to establish an Islamic state. You know, Sharia law. It, what ISIS wants is the same thing as what al-Qaeda wants.
1: But then I know... You converted to Islam when you started living out there, and is a different part of Mos- Islam. Like, it's, well, it's Islam
0: is Islam, but uh, what ISIS and Al Qaeda do to Islam is pervert it. So there's nothing in the Quran that says that you should be suicide bombing. But this is something that both ISIS and Al Qaeda supports like thoroughly and mm-hmm. employ thoroughly. Um, they've perverted Islam.
1: But what was your living conditions when you first got there?
0: Well, in Syria, um, no hotels. In opposition-held Syria, there aren't, and it wouldn't be safe anyway. Um, you have to go in with a faction, with a, a militant group, to have any semblance of safety. You have to have protection and people looking out for you and people tracking you.
1: So the people you were working for supplied you with all of that, the, the protection? No, or how I, did that I found
0: my own, actually, um, on Facebook.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: Uh, And that sounds absolutely fucking crazy, but actually, uh, two years ago, there was a way to vet these people. There was a little media office right on the Syrian side of the Turkish-Syrian border. And you'd stop there and you'd tell them, you know, which faction you're with, who you're there reporting for, and they find out who you're going with and make sure that they're okay and that all of their everything checks out. So um, that doesn't exist anymore because the border has been closed now for a year and a half. But um, when I started, that was possible, so... Yeah, I found the guy who spoke English on Facebook. He was very charismatic, thought he'd be great on camera, and I vetted him through this media office, and yeah, he turned out to be safe.
1: That's incredible. You're good on the social. That's how me, me and you met on MySpace.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, back in the... You
0: added me I 11 had, years ago.
1: Oh, that's all it was? I thought it was longer than it. It was 11 years ago?
0: I think, wow. maybe 12.
1: So, so when you first got there... What was like, what were some of the first stories you reported on?:
0: I reported on the combat a little bit. Uh, the Free Syrian Army uh, was fighting both ISIS and the Assad regime at that point. Um, in addition to that, the civilians, you know, the schools that are bombed constantly, so they make underground schools, so I reported some on that.
1: How many innocent civilians are being murdered on a regular? in those areas you were in. I mean,
0: the estimates are sort of hazy, but half a million is a fair estimate at this point. Of Um, innocent
1: civilians, civilian uh, life.
0: Both, but vast majority civilian and vast majority by far uh, perpetrated by the Assad regime and now also Russia, Russia, Russian forces.
1: And and how how many civilians are murdered by the United States?
0: Really, the, the... it's not clear. The tally is not clear. A substantial number. But Before
1: the kidnapping and all that stuff, we ever face-to-face with Al-Qaeda or any situations where you are in harm's way?
0: I mean, in, in opposition-held Syria, it's always in harm's way because the airstrikes are just non-stop, And especially since the Russian inter- intervention began about a year ago. Um, just constant airstrikes. So that's always a risk. Um, and I've had close calls. I've had, you know, the side of the building I was in has been hit. You know, the building next door has been hit. A neighbor died the last time, the night before I was kidnapped, actually. An 18-year-old neighbor was killed by a Russian cluster bomb. So, I mean, it's always dangerous.
1: Like, Tell us about some of the homeless children and some of the people whose lives were destroyed, civilians being innocently murdered and being, you know, left with no place to live.
0: This January, I went to Aleppo city um, in Azaz, which is sort of right on the border with Turkey and Syria. And when I was there, Russia, the Russian forces started a really heavy bombing campaign on the northern countryside of Aleppo and they displaced 50,000 people. No place to go, really just blocked in. So they all rushed to the Turkish border and Turkey at this point wouldn't let any of them in. I mean I tried to cross one day and on this day they killed a little girl trying to cross with her family. Just blindly shooting the civilians that are trying to cross the border to safety. Um, This is not an unusual situation. I mean I It was freezing, and I saw families who had been living in the woods for two weeks. It's crazy. You know, a husband and wife and a a newborn sitting in the woods just freezing.
1: And little girls being gunned down like nothing. That's disgusting. That's sickening, man. Sickening. So you were kidnapped by Al-Qaeda. Tell us about... Why did they kidnap you? What happened the day they kidnapped you? How did they kidnap you? And where did they bring you?
0: I actually had permission from Al-Qaeda to film. The faction that I was with is an Islamist faction that is very closely like allied with Al-Qaeda so um, it was cleared for me to to film. A lot of the guys that I'd filmed in more moderate factions had joined Al-Qaeda in the time since I started filming them. Um, So I had connections. I, I knew a lot of people in this area. Uh, and so, I, I so filmed.
1: But, I don't mean to cut you off, but so you did who you contacted Al Qaeda directly and said, Hey, no, no, can you film you?
0: Not me, the faction I was with.
1: And they said, Hey, can our girl Lindsay go film Al Qaeda? And Al Qaeda said, Sure. No, not, not
0: Al Qaeda. And I had no interest in filming Al Qaeda. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was going there, um Sorry. this area in the western countryside of Aleppo and Idlib in the outskirts of Idlib. The civilians are hit here harder than anywhere else. Um, it's terrible. And mostly, you know, Russian and Assad bombs constantly. They're targeting the hospitals, the schools, the markets every day, every day people are dying. And my goal was to go and to film that. And so I got permission to do that. And for three or four days, it was fine. You know, I went to three different hospitals. I went with the rescuers. Um, I saw, you know, like I said, the neighbor, an 18 year old kid was killed. I so saw him buried the same night that he was killed because, you know, the death... The sheer volume of death makes funerals in opposition-held Syria completely not feasible. So they just bury the dead immediately. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Um, so it was fine, and then a group of leaders within al-Qaeda just really wanted to kidnap me. Um, at this point, I think it had been a couple of months, since most of the Al-Qaeda soldiers in Syria had actually gotten a salary they're really hard up for money. So I had uh, an Iraqi Al-Qaeda leader and eight guys with AKs come to the house that I was staying in and say, we got information that she's a spy and we don't trust her, so we're going to investigate her. And so they took me to sort of a prison house in the Western countryside of Aleppo and took my phone. and. I'd hidden one of my cameras. I knew that they were coming. They they arrested my translator. Hmm. And so they were looking for me. I knew they were coming. So I hid my better camera and my hard drives, my memory cards, under a piece of furniture. So they got my shittier camera, my laptop, my phone, and confiscated all of them, put me in a prison house for a week, and sent different leaders to come and question me.
1: Did did they get physical with you? Did they? Did they...
0: No. Um sharia law and taken to the extreme that they had me blindfold myself so they would say cover your eyes so we can move you can you see no i can't see and i would like kind of trip a little bit so they wouldn't know that i could actually
1: explain what what does that have to do with sharia law because i'm not educated oh sorry um
0: so a man and a woman who aren't married can't have any physical contact even if it's a captive so they had me blindfold myself Um, obviously I didn't do a very good job, so I saw everything, but, um, yeah, no, they never touched me and I never worried that they would harm me because, I mean, I've seen how they've treated female captives in the past and it's really, it's a money game for them. It's a racket.
1: So how long, then you escaped Al Qaeda. How long were you captured and how did the escape happen?
0: So I was for, I was captured for about two weeks and after a week in this prison house and it was just this charade of, oh, we're going to release you two or three days, two or three days, no problem. Um, They moved me to a real prison. And according to this hostage release, like group I talked to, I'm the only female captive in Syria that they've taken to like a real legitimate prison. Um, And this prison was like inside of a rock formation, like a secret cave prison is the only way I can really describe it and solitary confinement cells with like lots of male prisoners and they stuck me in a solitary confinement cell. And I saw on the wall when the cell door shut that there were tally marks and blood on the wall, like the number of days that someone else had yeah. been there.
1: Holy shit.
0: Yeah. So they had me there for, you know, a day and a half and then more leaders came and questioned me. And at this point I knew I'm, I'm their captive. They're going to keep me until someone pays for me. This has happened so many times before.
1: Um, what what this is ignorant right here what I'm going to ask you, but what's al Qaeda's relationship with their government or the country you were in like like uh, what well, what? the
0: Syrian government is the Assad regime who is fighting all of the people that I would ever go with, so all of these opposition factions that I would embed with are fighting the Assad regime. Al Qaeda certainly fighting the Assad regime okay, so there's no government really to speak of okay. um, basically for all intents and purposes, this part of Syria is its own nation and governed more by Al-Qaeda than any other group at this point. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> to the point that even the American-backed Free Syrian Army factions would not, could not do anything to help me. Yeah. All of them knew that I was kidnapped, but there's nothing they can do. How are you going to stand up to Al-Qaeda? They're more powerful than any of uh, every other group. Wow. So.
1: That's the scariest, most insane thing.
0: Yeah, so... I'm American. The last time they held an American, it was almost two years before his ransom was paid. And I assumed my case would be similar. Um, but knowing that, when I was in the prison and more leaders came and talked to me, they said, what would you do if we released you right now? And so I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to try something crazy. And I said, with your permission, I would stay here in Syria. With you. And they like were stunned. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> And they said, you give up your work in journalism to stay here with us? I said, absolutely. They said, okay, we have a deal for you. If you're Muslim, as you say, you can let us kidnap you and take money for you. And then we'll split the money with you. And you can keep a portion and live here in Syria on it and we'll take the rest. Do you accept? And I said, if you move me into a house with women, no more prisons, then I accept. And I assumed that the only way I would, you know, get away from Al-Qaeda with like less than a year of captivity would be to escape. And the only way to escape would be to get into a much less secure environment. And, you know, I eventually got to one. They put me in a house with women, sort of a deserted cluster of houses in the Idlib countryside. And, you know, three houses full of male fighters. And then one house in the far back with women and children and me.
1: Wow. Yep. And, and tell us about the day of your escape.
0: This is the crazy thing. After about a week,: This is the crazy thing to Yes. <laughs> this, is the, this is where people start to say, "Really? After about a week uh, of complaining about being bored and all of this, and I said, "You know, I made a deal with your leaders and I haven't tried to escape. Just let me use a phone to just like look at the news online or something." And they had app blockers on the WhatsApp, and you know location services disabled, but they started letting me use their phone, and so I made a Gmail, and so I contacted my husband, and my husband was, you know, in America dealing with the FBI, worthless by the way. Um, And then eventually, like I, again, a couple days later, I was like, "Look, guys, you let me use your phone, I haven't tried to escape, can I have my phone? And they brought back my camera, my computer, my phone, all with white tape that said American journalist, Sahafia, Ameriki, in Arabic on them. And so once I had my phone, I turned on location services, I got my GPS coordinates, I contacted someone from an Islamist faction who lived in Turkey, and he had someone like two kilometers away who came that day and like kind of cased the situation. And that night I got a map showing me like the the Google Maps like satellite view of where I was and where the dogs were and where the male fighters were and how I w- would need to run to get to the road and to escape. And a couple days later, I finally had an opportunity and I ran. And he was waiting with his motorcycle and he Took me to his home and hid me for two days. Wow. Good man, and his faction is very close to Al Qaeda. And if they knew that he helped me, they would kill him.
1: Well, tell us about. Uh, you said the way you escaped is you told me a story when we had dinner the other night that you say hey, I got to go check the doggies or something like that. That was a funny. I had a part. cat.
0: Okay. I had a kitten there, there so um, the kitten stayed inside, and it was summer at this point. So everyone slept on the front porch. So this is like five women and like 10 children at a given time that are just camped out on the front porch, which is also the only exit. So I took the kitten and I threw the kitten off the porch and then I said, kitty, kitty. And then I jumped (laughs) off the porch and I pretended to be looking for the cat. And I kept pretending until I was far away, far enough away from the house to run to the road.
1: You know, what's funny is real life. Like if you put that in a script, like, kitty, kitty, and ran away from Al-Qaeda. That's the fakish, yep, fuck that know, shit. But it's always, that's always, the real shit is always the most hard And then to they believe. gave
0: me a phone before that. It's like the, like, are you <laughs> fucking stupid? <laughs> yeah,
1: if you put that in the script, like the okay to give a phone, kitty, kitty, kitty. That's amazing. That's I had one of
0: know. my kidnappers talk to me on Facebook after. And he's like, why'd you leave? <laughs> did we not take good care? I was like, did you not realize that I was just fucking saying that so I would have a chance to run away? <laughs> It's <laughs> your Facebook.
1: Yo, the new era, the social media it's era. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Um, okay, so you ran. This man risked, risked his life. They would murder him if they knew that he helped you. And then what happened?
0: So he took me to his home for two days. And his pregnant wife was there. And I just, she was so sweet. Like she took me in and gave me water and a place to sleep and I just kept thinking like if this was my husband bringing some like fugitive American woman with Al-Qaeda searching everywhere and this is a very like Al-Qaeda dominated area. So they put up checkpoints they're searching for me and you know this guy just brought some American chick to his house. Like oh but the wife was so sweet.
1: Yeah risking his wife's life too possibly. Yeah
0: pregnant wife.
1: That's crazy.
0: And they're poor they live in one room it's It's fucking terrible. Um, Yeah, but they hid me for two days, and then his wife gave me all new clothes, you know, the whole, the niqab, the full face veil, and the gloves, and the black, to try to escape, um, which is super risky, because at this point I'm only two kilometers away from where I escaped, and Nasr al-Qaeda is looking for me everywhere. Um, but they sort of took me to a middleman's house, and then a smuggler came and picked me up and took me to the border. Wow. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay, so then that was the Turkish border?
0: Yeah, and at this point I'm still on the Syrian side of it. Okay. Kind of, I had a plan to cross like the next morning, but I started talking to my husband on WhatsApp, and the FBI was with him, and they started pressuring me. Um, let me back up actually. So the American government sent two helicopters to the Turkish-Syrian border to try to have rescue me. Only after I'd escaped from Al-Qaeda, which I, at that point I didn't need you know, a helicopter extraction. It never would have been safe. Um, and they're asking me <clears throat> to ask my rescuer, who is an Islamist who hates America. America has bombed his faction. And they're asking him, well, can he just help you find a place for the helicopter to land? And I asked him this and he saw his phone and he grabbed his AK and went outside and smiled. And he said, I'm waiting for America. <laughs> so I told the FBI this. I was like, look, this isn't going to happen. You need to be realistic. This man is an Islamist. He does not like America. And an American helicopter landing would be a death sentence for him, for his wife.
1: Yeah.
0: It'd be terrible. And it wouldn't be safe. Someone's going to shoot it down. Why is the
1: FBI so fucking stupid? Why are they, they have it no is-
0: idea. Because they don't have people on the ground in Syria.
1: Yeah. Holy shit. So... What happened next? Turkey?
0: So, yeah, so... Well, um,
1: if you want to back up whatever... No, no, you So, know.
0: yeah, so they couldn't land a helicopter. But the important point here is that they brought helicopters. And so the Turkish government was aware of this. Um, at this point, the Turkish government started thinking, you know, they wouldn't do this if she was just a fucking journalist. She's obviously not just a fucking journalist. So I talked to the FBI and they said, you really, you have to cross where we tell you, you know, the Turkish government's here with us, they're going to help, nothing will happen to you, you won't be deported, you won't be detained. And so I listened to them and I crossed, immediately arrested by the Turkish government. And uh, when the Turkish government took me, there were U.S. Special Forces guys there who had been talking to me, you know, helping me cross and... uh, They said, they're just processing you. And I said, it really seems like I'm being arrested. And he said, you're not. We'll be with you the whole time. That was the last I saw of them.
1: Now, who who was that?
0: U.S. Special Forces.
1: And then they just disappeared?
0: Yep, just disappeared. And then I was with the Turks. I was in Turkish custody. Questioned. And questioned again and taken to court. And... At this point, you know, I was just with Al-Qaeda, and you'd think that um, Turkey... Who who were the asshole
1: Americans? Who who the fuck were they? Why'd they disappear? Why'd they just leave you? I
0: mean, I I don't know if they knew. I I looked in one of the special forces guy's eyes, and I swear, like, he had this sort of... He knew, I think. There's no way for me to prove that. And they swear up and down that they didn't know, so... Yeah. But, I mean, I think that the relationship between Turkey and America is a lot more important than, you know, an American journalist. One
1: little white girl journalist... Yep. And that motherfucker knew yeah, he, you know, I, he looked I at you, you and said you going, you're going, oh you'll be fine You're going, piece of shit If you're listening to this Podcast, you're a piece of shit Okay, so now you're in a Turkish prison? Or not yet? Well,
0: not yet, no I'm, You know, I'm questioned for like 12 hours Okay. But you know, someone who's just with Syria and in Syria with Al-Qaeda And Turkey supposedly fighting Al-Qaeda You'd think that they'd have a lot of questions about that None. Just, why did America send two helicopters for you if you're just a journalist? I kept telling them they would do this for any American citizen. You know, a lot of American captives have been killed in Syria, and they don't want that to happen again. It's very bad for them. Uh, it didn't matter. Like, the first night I was arrested, there were already news stories in the Turkish press that, you know, CIA agent was captured. Um.
1: So you were a CIA agent from day one. As soon as you landed, they knew you was in in the CIA, right?
0: Yeah. So then they took me to prison and solitary confinement for 17 days. And then they moved me to a new prison with three suspected members of al-Qaeda, even though I had just been kidnapped by al-Qaeda.
1: And you went in with ISIS members too, right?
0: Yep. And then later, a 19-year-old Turkish girl who had joined ISIS, had gone from Turkey to Syria to join ISIS, came to the cell also
1: okay so let's rewind they they take you in the Americans vanish they're like ah fuck that bitch they're gone yep 17 days in, in solitary confinement what's going on what's going on in your mind what's happening in, in, you know what are you thinking is gonna happen
0: for the first week I really thought I mean at this point anytime an American journalist had been caught crossing this border illegally reporting in Syria you know it's a day or two and then they're deported back to America, so I really thought that's what was going to happen. So for the first week I'm just sitting in prison, and every time I hear a helicopter I'm thinking, that must be for me. Nope. Uh, a week later, the consulate came, the US consulate, and it's two women, and I'm like, why am I still here? And I said, oh, well, you know your case is you know, illegally crossing a border. I was like, whoa, you're pretending that this is a real case? The American and Turkish government made a deal to let me cross, and you're pretending that this is a real case? Yeah, well, um, you know, you just, you need to get a lawyer, and... At this point, I don't have clothes. I'm in the, you know, Al-Qaeda disguise that I'd escaped in. And so I asked the consulate, you know, can you bring me clothes? They didn't. In two months. Two sure. months I spent in this, like, Al-Qaeda disguise. Um, not that that's the most terrible thing, but...
1: Oh, it is. 60 days in the same... It's pretty shitty. ...rag. Yeah, it's horrible. It's a nightmare. And
0: the guards kept calling me "Ishid," which is the Turkish word for ISIS, so I cut it into a shirt at one point. It was really ghetto.
1: So so you got there. They swore that you were CIA agent. They drew you in solitary confinement, took you out. And what were the Americans doing for this two months of you being locked in this Turkish prison?
0: I have no idea, and they couldn't tell me. And actually, even though the Turkish press had been calling me a CIA agent from day one, the Americans still, when they came and visited me the first time, said, you know, could we send, you know, a government official in to debrief you about al-Qaeda? I said, I think that they think I'm a CIA agent. You're asking me to have a government official come and debrief me about al-Qaeda when they say I'm a CIA agent? Like, absolutely no chance. (laughs) No fucking way. I'm sitting in a Turkish prison.
1: Was there any attacks or violence in the Turkish prison? Did, did you get a, uh, anybody get physical with you? Was it?
0: Not with me. I mean, it was bad for every other reason. Like I was, the fluorescent lights were on 24 hours a day. It was August. It was, I was getting a heat rash all over my body. You know, just laying in a pool of sweat basically and no other clothes to change into. Um,
1: and they wouldn't speak English to you because they believed you were CIA agents? Yes,
0: they wouldn't so, speak English, they could just, they really thought that as a CIA agent, I would be fluent in Turkish. So even though I clearly didn't understand what they were saying, it was just fun for them to come by and scream at me in Turkish, so.
1: They then, then after the, they took you out of the hole, then where did they put you in the Turkish prison?
0: They moved me with three women who were from, Al, you know, their husbands actually were building a bomb in Turkey and it accidentally detonated and killed them. And so the wives were taken in as suspected Al-Qaeda members and we were all moved together to a new prison.
1: And, and two of the women <coughs> were pregnant, right?
0: One was nine months pregnant, one was seven months pregnant. And so the one who was nine months pregnant had her baby, you know, like a few days into our move there. And she came back with a bruised face, crying, and told me that a nurse had punched her in the face. And a guard told her that her baby was Satan, Shaitan, in Arabic.
1: Why did the nurse punch her in the face? For having a baby?
0: Because they're Al-Qaeda.
1: Because it's an Al-Qaeda baby? Yeah, in their eyes, it's an Al Qaeda baby and it's a Satan baby. So they mm-hmm. punched her in the face for having the baby.
0: They punched her in the face while she was in labor and handcuffed, and writhing in pain. They forced her to have an episiotomy. What's so that, that, that what's that word? Mean? Um, it's when you cut so that the baby comes out faster. Oh, like a, like
1: a C section.
0: No, wow. um, you cut the, the vagina. Yeah, yeah. God,
1: and then, and then right after that. Two hours later, they put her right back into the prison with the baby, right, right, right after, right? Yep, right after. And and you, you spent nights and nights with this baby, you know, uh, sick baby crying every night, right? And the mother yes. not knowing if the baby was going to live, and it was a nightmare.
0: Um, and that's that's a weird thing about Turkish prisons is that the kids will grow up with the mothers. You have four-year-olds in prison with their mothers. It's crazy, just. Terrible. So if,
1: if you're pregnant in a Turkish prison, and you have the kid. That you just raise your kid in you the Turkish prison. You raise your kid prison, in the prison, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Was there was, was there rats and bugs, or, or was it clean? Or
0: no. When we moved in, it was a new prison that they moved us to. It was squalid, like covered in a layer of filth. And we asked. It was a month before you got anything to clean the cell with. And so you know, a newborn baby comes and lives in this squalor basically for a month because they won't give us anything to clean with. Yes. Just disgusting.
1: So, tell us about your final days in a Turkish prison and then coming home.
0: So, the ISIS member comes. So, we have a, another person in our cell, and she's an ISIS member and really fond of 9 11 and super hateful towards Americans. Um, and yeah, I don't know what happened to get me out because my lawyers came after six weeks of my lawyers not coming. Also, at this point, um, you know, a month into my captivity, There were some news stories about me in America. And so a journalist at a press briefing, Department of Defense press briefing, asked John Kirby, the spokesman, why was she in Syria? He said, I don't know. I can't tell you why she was in Syria. At that point, Turkey was more convinced that I was a CIA agent, and journalists in America, outlets I've been working for for years, said maybe she's a CIA agent. No one would help me. No one would speak on my behalf. I was radioactive.
1: So you had the asshole Kirby... Yes. Say, oh, maybe she's CIA, I don't know. And then you had all your working peers, the other journalists, the, your bosses. Oh, hey, maybe she's CIA. They didn't want to touch you. Yep. So they let you rot in this prison hole while they all, hey, <clears throat> hey, 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 I'm going to keep it safe. I ain't saying Yeah, I don't know. Word. Maybe she is. What were the guards like?
0: They were pretty bad, and uh, I don't think that they were all that intelligent. I mean, the governor of the city that I was in went on the news, had a press conference, and said, we're holding her because... We don't know if she's a spy. But I don't think all of the guards knew why I was there. And I was in a cell with Al-Qaeda and ISIS, so they started calling me ISIS. They would come and just tear the cell apart. And the Al-Qaeda women thought it was so funny. Like, we don't leave this cell ever. Like, where do they think we're getting shit from? <laughs> hide in the cell.
1: Do you know if any of the women or any of the people, if there were rapes going on or, or anything?
0: I don't know. We were um, kind of special holding. You know, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, CIA. So they kind of left us alone. Okay. Very limited contact with any of them. You know, they'd come, they'd open a a hole in the door and slide disgusting metal trays of slop in every day.
1: At what point did the U.S. finally step in?
0: I think that they were negotiating the whole time. Um, And it's clear that when I was finally released, it's something that they did. Half-assed, because my husband is still in Turkey.
1: So you met your husband in Afghanistan?
0: I met him here, Oh, actually. you met him in America? Yeah, we got married in Afghanistan.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: He, about two weeks after I got arrested, went to Turkey to get our dog and cat and the stuff from my apartment and bring it back to America. But while he was in my apartment, the Turkish police came and searched my apartment, and they found five $1 bills. So yeah, the presence of these dollar bills in my apartment meant that he was a CIA agent or somehow involved in the coup attempt. So they've been holding him in Turkey. Um, not in prison, but he can't leave Turkey. There's a lot of anti-American. So you don't fervor.
1: know when you're going to see your husband again? No,
0: because I can't go to Turkey. And you
1: might not see him. You, you don't, Well, we're... I
0: can't say that. I mean, I can't even imagine that. But yeah, I mean, there's no end in sight. And there's no one willing to help judge. I mean, the lawyers are scared to take his case because maybe they'll be arrested for being part of this movement.
1: They finally get you out of the prison. How did that happen? They came to say, Hey, you're free now. Well, how so fast it had been, did it happen? It had
0: been six months that I hadn't seen my lawyers. Didn't know what was going on. Six months? you Oh, sorry. Six weeks, oh,
1: six, okay, okay. six
0: weeks. I hadn't seen my lawyers. Um, so they came one morning and they said, yeah, your case is not moving. We don't have high hopes. It could be another three months that you're in here before it even goes to trial. So, yeah, but then later that night they came back to my surprise and uh, they were like, you're released. You know, we're waiting for you outside. The consulate's coming. Um, But of course, it didn't really happen that way. Um, I was released into the care of the Turkish gendarme, which is like Turkish military basically. And they took me to an immigration center where I was held for about a week. 24 hours a day. It was like an immigration center where it's all Iraqis waiting to be deported back to Iraq. And they wouldn't put me with the Iraqis. They wanted to keep me separate. So they put me in an office, you know, 24 hours a day, neon lights, no shower, no nothing. Every night I would fall asleep and the mail guards would come in and take pictures of me because I'm a CIA agent, super important to them. Yeah, they terrorized me. And it really wasn't clear when they were going to let me go. And I found out from the American consulate later that they kept changing it. Like, oh, you can book our flight for tomorrow. Nope, actually, no, you can't. So until I was on a plane, they didn't know that I would actually get to leave.
1: Okay, so now you escaped al-Qaeda, you finally got released from the Turkish prison, and now you're on a flight back to New York City.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is your life like now?
0: I mean, I'm producing the material that I shot there, that I was lucky enough to get out from al-Qaeda and then lucky enough to get back from Turkey. So I've been writing articles... I had three pieces come out in the Daily Beast.
1: So, also, I remember when you first uh, was over there. Uh, you sent me clips of you were rocking out with your homeboys. They were playing Mob Deep. Mm. What country were you in? Iraq. You was in Iraq, and, and it was in the car. The Iraqis
0: mm-hmm.
1: playing Mob Deep shook ones or I don't or in a quiet storm. It was one of them joints. I'm like yo, Queensbridge, my boys. I, you know, I know Mob Deep since we're kids together. And I'm like, yo, Queens Bridge out in Iraq, that's crazy. You know, that was crazy. And they really like
0: down. Mob Deep in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: really do. Why Mob Deep? Just because the, the, the street feel? I, I don't know.
0: I think maybe because, you know, when the Americans were there, they got familiarized with it. I mean, really, America has had a huge cultural impact on Iraq.
1: so, when you got to Iraq, they were like, "The Mob Deep is in my <laughs> shit." Or, or, or. No, but
0: one of my drivers had a CD in his car, and <laughs> and then the other drivers were sort of like dancing along to it when we would drive by them and stuff.
1: Yo, Havoc and P, you hear that Iraq? You, that's crazy. You think they get a show over there or they kidnapped them?
0: Might be a bad time for it right yeah, now because
1: Mob Mar- Deep's short. Al Qaeda coming and just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just fucking around. But uh. What other rappers do they like in, in Iraq that you can remember?
0: They like Biggie. They like Tupac. Yeah, they, they any, battery, Anything that Mar- was popular in America, but yeah. yeah.
1: Do they There's like Mar- Vanilla people. Ice? or?
0: I didn't hear any Vanilla Ice. <laughs> they like,
1: dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum.
0: Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs>
1: They're kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, what films do they like there?
0: Shitty American movies. Yeah. All bootleg. Or they got Wily. the bootlegs oh, in the yeah. street.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Like Harlem 10 years ago. So
1: what do they think about... Uh, they like American culture, obviously. They like Brad Pitt. They like Mobb yeah. Deep. They like American culture. But what do they think of, like, say, Obama or Trump or, uh, you know, Bush? They all Markham. hate Bush.
0: They but, all hate Bush. Um, it really... With Obama, it really depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to the Kurdish forces like the Peshmerga, they'll talk about how much they love Obama. Yeah. Okay. The Iraqi forces not so much. Okay. Um, and they all hate Trump. But actually, <laughs> someone in the Turkish government at the deportation center told me that he hoped that Trump would be elected so that they could sit back and watch America fall.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I said, I don't think that'll happen. But you know.
1: Yeah. Nobody thought Trump would win. I mean, I'm, I, I I was very wrong about that. I said he's got no shot. And then in the hey asshole, he won. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Yep. Shit. All right. Hey, Lindsay. You're a hero. We love you. Thank you for everything you're doing and keep up the amazing work. And Thanks for having me. We're glad that you're home safely and stay out of trouble if you can, you know, but don't lose your integrity staying out of trouble, but we love you and you're amazing and you were the greatest first podcast guest i could have imagined so it, weird it was amazing so
0: weird but thank you So
1: next time maybe we'll have a boxer or somebody you yeah know, or, rapper or maybe we'll have like you know uh like like you know ron jeremy or something you know <laughs> but you were an amazing first guest thank you for being on the show and that's a wrap for the long island what's my show called again i just named it today long island ignorant no Guy. ignorant long island guys yeah that's the, you like that name yes very okay, much. okay so that's a wrap episode number one Ignorant Long Island Guys podcast? (laughs) Yes. There we go. All right. Peace. We love you. You can't even say the fucking. (laughs) (laughs) That's the funniest part.